have been praying for that. So today we're going to look at this ultimate miracle, this miracle of resurrection. Is it amazing that Scripture gives testimony that our God is able to bring a dead body back to life? I mean, that is just amazing. If our God can do that, He can do anything. And so when we look at what Scripture has uh, to say about resurrection, there's several ways that we can approach it. We can, we can look at it like Jesus' resurrection where he was physically raised from the dead and he lived eternally forever. Uh, but then also we can look at resurrection, how we are, have been spiritually raised from the dead. Many of you, I hope most of you, I pray that all of you will eventually uh, be spiritually raised from the dead. Some of you understand what I mean whenever I say that. You've been saved, that there's something that's happened in your soul. God has brought you to spiritual life. You were dead spiritually, but you called on Jesus and God brought you to life. That is the resurrection applied to you. We also see in Scripture there's going to be a future resurrection. One day, every single one of us, if we are believers, we're going to be raised from the dead. We're going to live forever. Well, today what we're going to look at, we're going to look at a miracle of a physical resurrection where there was someone who died and Jesus raised that body, the body of that person, raised them back to life and they continued their earthly, physical life. And of course, we believe that many of them were also spiritually raised from the dead and will one day be permanently raised from the dead. All that to say, there are nine instances of resurrection in Scripture. There's three in the Old Testament. There's three by Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, there's one, I guess you could call it a mass resurrection on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. There was a lot, the Bible said a lot of people came out of their graves. Um, and then there's two in the book of Acts. These miracles are outstanding. There is no physical, medical, natural explanation that can be given for these, for these miracles. While if someone's cured of leprosy or a skin disease, we might say, well, something medically happened. Or if someone um, who used to be blind can now see, we might, you know, try to credit a, an ophthalmologist. But when, when, when you have a, a dead body that is raised to life again, there is no natural explanation for that. There is nothing medically that can be done for someone who is physically dead. But yet our God raises people from the grave. And we see this miracle in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to read it, Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 17. I want to ask you to stand with me uh, as we look at this. Uh, I just want you to stand as I read just so that we can give attention and reverence uh, to God's Word. But look, look at this story, and we're going to see what we can learn from this story. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, he, meaning Jesus, uh, went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier. And the bear stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, 
and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would speak life to your people. I pray, Lord, just in the next 20 or 30 minutes, as we just look at some simple things from this passage, Lord, I pray that you would bring life. I pray, Lord, that you would bring resurrection life uh, to your people and maybe someone who doesn't know you as Savior, that, Lord, maybe that could happen in their life for the very first time. We pray for that. We ask for that. We know that you're the only one that can do that. And we love you and offer you this prayer in Jesus' name. Thank you. You can be seated. Now this story is this story is pretty shocking. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you're in Cookville and you're driving down Willow Avenue and you see a funeral procession. You see the cop cars, you see the hearse, uh, you see all the cars lined up with their lights on. Now, we still do something in Cookville that a lot of places don't do anymore. Uh, we pull over and, and, you know, kind of reverence as, as the people drive by. A lot of bigger cities, they don't do that. They're just in a hurry, and they just keep blazing right through. But we pull over, and as the funeral procession comes by, we sit there. And what you'll also notice is sometimes there'll be people that will get out of their cars, and they'll stand there, and they'll, they'll put their hand over their heart. Some of the officers that are blocking traffic, sometimes you'll see them, they'll do that. Now, I want you to imagine with me, I want you to pretend that you're driving down Willow Avenue, and a funeral procession comes by, and you, pu- you pull over your car, and you're patiently waiting for them for them to drive by and all of a sudden some guy jumps out of his car and he goes into the middle of the street and he, he, he stands in front of the hearse and he stops the funeral procession and and he, he the, the guy rolls down his window and he says something to him and then he walks around and he pops open the back and he motions for the pallbearers and they just take the casket out and they drop it in the street and you're watching all this from your car. They drop it, drop it in the middle of the street. They flip it open, and you see this man say something. And then all of a sudden, the person that is in the casket stands up and starts to talk. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but I have never seen that. I would be, I would be pretty shocked and amazed. I mean, you want to talk about disrupting the traffic flow uh, in the middle of town, and th- th- that, that is what this would have been like. There is a funeral procession coming out of this town, a large crowd. Jesus interrupts it. He stops it. He sees this woman crying. He stops the whole thing, and he raises this person from the dead. I think it's easy for us to go through some of these stories that we see in Scripture and not be as shocked by them then as shocked by them as maybe as we should be. Because if something like this happened to us, can you imagine how word would spread? I mean, think about it. Everybody would be standing out with their phones, like this right here. I mean, just recording the whole thing. Man, there'd be Facebook Lives going off everywhere. I mean, it'd get posted all over social media. I mean, news crews from Nashville would show up. Man, there'd be helicopters flying around. I mean, you and, and that's basically what happened here. It says, that, uh, it says uh, that all came upon everyone. Fear seized them all and reports about Jesus. Can you imagine how something like that, if that happened, how it would be just, uh, maybe it wouldn't be reported. Maybe the news media would say, ah, we don't want to talk about that. But can you imagine how it would be reported and how it was reported there? 
This is a significant miracle. This is an amazing miracle. And you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of deep, doctrinal, kind of theological things that we could say about Jesus and, uh, and, and about this particular miracle. I, w- I want to keep it simple this morning. There are some, I think, just think some very simple things that we can learn from this story that I, I hope are encouraging to you today. And the first one has to do with Jesus' compassion. The Bible says that he had compassion on this particular woman whenever he saw her suffering. And uh, what, that's what prompted the miracle. Jesus saw the human suffering that was taking place. You say, well, okay, what, what all was involved in this? Well, uh, obviously, the loss of your child is huge. There's human suffering there. But it didn't stop there with this particular woman. The Bible makes it very clear that she was a widow. And the Bible makes it very clear that her husband had died and that this was her only son. In other words, she had nobody left. Um, um, this, this was kind of it for her. Back then, there were no social services. There was no Medicaid. Uh, there, was no, there was no care center like we have to give away free clothes. Uh, there was no rescue mission where she could go and sleep. There was no you know, big fancy churches with benevolent funds that could help out. I mean, she was pretty much on her own. She was going to be desolate. And so Jesus saw her in her desperation and in her despair. And the Bible says that he had compassion on her. It's real easy for us to look at this story and all the things that happened and just focus on what Jesus did. But the Bible tells, this is important, the Bible tells us what Jesus felt. See, I believe, I believe feelings are important. And I believe feelings that are, that, are, that, are, that are in the heart of the Son of God are very important and are always right and justified and, and appropriate. The Bible says that Jesus felt something, that he felt compassion. I have noticed that in almost every situation in Scripture where Jesus shows up and does something amazing and miraculous and spectacular in someone's life, it's almost always a response to human suffering. And that's because he is a God of compassion. The Bible says this many times over, even in the Old Testament, that God is gracious and merciful, that he is slow to anger, and that he is abounding in steadfast love. There's something about Jesus that likes to show up in times of deep despair and human suffering and pain. And this particular mom, she was in misery. Her son had died, her husband had died, she had no one left. And and what does a person do? What is a natural human response whenever you just have no hope, you have no place to go, you have no one to take care of you, you have no way out? A natural human response is is just to cry. Now I know... I know some of you tough guys in here don't cry, um, but this is just a natural human response. We just just cry in situations like this. I personally believe that crying as humans is really one of the greatest and most appropriate expressions of hurt and of grief and of pain. What, What do you say to a person who's going through something 
that's so deep in their heart and so deep in their life that all the only thing they have left. What, what, do, you, what do you say? What do you say to them? Have you ever been in that situation? You know, we try to speak empty words. We try to give you know empty words of, of encouragement. There's there's a lot of things that we shouldn't say, and it it could be that what Jesus said is something that maybe we should not say. But Jesus, he just goes over to her and he just says, "Don't cry." And I believe personally that there's something about human suffering and crying and despair that just grips the heart of God. This compassion that's talked about by Jesus, it basically means that he felt her pain. He felt her pain. You know, Jesus feels your pain. He, 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 those hurts and those, those things that you have going on inside of you that maybe cause you to cry, Jesus feels your pain. He cares about you. He is a God of compassion. I think that's an important thing that we learn from this miracle. A second important thing that we learn from this miracle is Jesus' touch. Again, this is very simple. Some people would say maybe this is not very, not very theological or whatnot, but I think this is an important detail in the text. The Bible says that Jesus touched this platform, I guess maybe what you and I would consider a casket, but touched this platform upon which this corpse was laid. Now, this is pretty significant, and we don't need to overlook the fact that Jesus did that. Now, you and I don't think about that. We go to a funeral, you know, we'll, 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 we'll touch the, uh, we, we may even touch our loved one for the last time who is, you know, who is passed away when we go to the funeral. We certainly don't have any kind of touch barrier when it comes to, to, to touching the, the casket. But in their day, they had these, they had these kind of, these kind of touch barriers. Anybody, anybody got any touch barriers? Anybody, you know, these touch barriers? Um, you know, some people don't have any touch barriers, like any touch barriers at all. Like uh, our kids pastor, Adam Ferris, he loves warm hugs. He loves warm hugs. I mean, he just, he just, he just loves them. Uh, no, I'm teasing. He doesn't. Uh, but you can do that to him. Anyway, uh, this is not what we're talking about. When we're talking about touch barriers, we're not talking about touch boundaries, right? You know, dudes hugging dudes. Maybe that's a boundary, right? We're not talking about touch boundaries. I want to talk, I'm, I'm, what I'm talking about is a touch barrier. Back then, if you touched a dead body, you were considered religiously defiled. Okay, you were dirty. You were spiritually dirty if you touched a dead body or if you touched a leper or if you touched all sorts of things. I mean, there's really a list that would be a little embarrassing as far as the Old Testament that if, that if I went through it and shared all of them with you, but you were considered spiritually, ceremonially, religiously dirty and not appropriate to draw near to God. Jesus didn't care anything about that. He didn't care anything about that. His compassion caused him to fly past all sorts of all sorts of social taboos and uh, religious, you know, in, uh, instructions and all that type of stuff, so that he could reach into and touch the lives of these people. And oftentimes, that that's really what this these these touch barriers were were about. There were certain types of people that you didn't eat with, you didn't talk to, you didn't associate with, you didn't have anything to do with them. 
But Jesus didn't care about any of that. He didn't have a those people mentality. Oh, those people don't measure up. Oh, those people are, are spiritually. I don't want to be seen with those people. And it was people like lepers and like prostitutes and tax collectors and like even Gentiles. You didn't even eat with non-Jewish people. Jesus didn't care about any of that type of stuff. And he was the purest, cleanest, most morally righteous person ever. And he got his hands dirty with real people, just like you and me. That's the God that we serve, his touch, his compassion. But also something that we learn from this passage is his voice. Jesus' voice, again, a detail I think is so easy to just run right past in this passage. But Jesus raised this young man from the dead and didn't go through any procedure. He didn't go through any ceremony. He didn't have any kind of you know special protocols and certainly nothing medical. All he did was speak. That's all he did. All he did was say to this young man, arise. He spoke and the miracle happened. And do you know that all three times, um, except for one in which he really didn't even hardly get there, but uh, all, well, all three, you know, all three times, he basically just spoke, the, the three people that he raised from the dead, he just spoke, and they came back from the dead. J- uh, Jarius' daughter, he just said, arise, and she came back to life. Lazarus, he just stood out from the, from the grave, and he said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came out. This instance said the same thing, young man, I say to you, arise. He just spoke, and it just happened. You know, there's something about the voice of God that generates life. Read Genesis chapter 1. This is what we see in creation. God just said, let there be light, and the sun appeared. God said, let there be uh, the earth and the moon and the sky, and it just happened. He didn't have to go, He didn't have to work for it. He didn't have to go through any special process. His speech just made it happen. How did, how did God touch and reach into the lives of people in the Old Testament? He would send prophets and he would put his words in their mouth, and they would speak to the people. How, how does the Lord touch your heart? Think about how the Lord touches your heart. He talks to you. He, he speaks to you. He, he has given you his written word. He's put people in your life, whether it be pastors, life group leaders, parents, grandparents, whomever it might be, that speak the word to you and, and tell you what God has to say. This is why whenever you go out and you tell your friends about Jesus, there's something about your spoken word, you telling people, communicating to people verbally the gospel, and it's through that that people get saved. It's, it's just how it works. God uses all of these means to speak to our souls and our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I think I could even make an argument that this is God's primary action. This is the main thing that he does. He talks to us. He speaks to us. Can you remember the last time that Jesus spoke to you? If you're a true believer, he's spoken to your heart in some way at some point in time. And maybe he has something to say to you today. Let me give you a little application from this verse. If these are just three simple things that we learn about this story, Jesus' compassion, Jesus' touch, and Jesus' voice, 
then I, I think there's some application for us that can be easily drawn from this. That number one, Jesus is there when you're desperate. He's there when you're desperate. The Bible says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Now, I, I know that all throughout Scripture this promise is given. And also, I understand that the Bible says that God's always with us. But there's, there's, something about, there's something about when we're in deep despair, when we have a lot of pain in our life, and we just have the weight of troubles that is coming upon us, there's something about those times that can be sweet times of fellowship with the Lord. There's something about those times that just make our hearts more vulnerable to God. It's not like we can't hear the Lord speak to us, and it's not like we can't draw near to God and have God close to us all the time. It's just there's something about those most painful times in our life whenever we're just more likely to open ourselves to the Lord and for Jesus to be there with us just like he was for this woman. And I don't think it was a coincidence that Jesus just happened to be going to this town of Nain, that he just happened to be going into the city gate just as this funeral possession was coming by, and it just happened to be this particular woman at this particular time. I believe that Jesus had this whole thing planned out. And I could, I could potentially make an argument. I think there's an argument to be made that when you're in times of deepest despair, that's whenever Jesus is seeking you out because he knows that your heart might be more open to him. And he wants to show you his compassion. I think that's a good application of this story. Number two, Jesus will draw near to you. You may think that you are untouchable. You may think that you're one of those people. You may think that, oh, I could never go to that church and be around those people. I could never, you know, really pray to God in a way that he would hear me. Uh, God doesn't care about someone like me. You don't know what I've done. I'm too bad. I'm too far away from God. I could never be forgiven. These are all lies of Satan. The Bible shows us that God will draw near to you. And the scripture even says in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's in those dark moments, those dark moments that we can feel God reach into our life. And Jesus will touch your life no matter how messed up you are. Number three, Jesus will talk to you. He will talk to you. John chapter 5, verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Not those who are perfect, not those who have it all figured out, not those people who are God's favorite, but the Bible says that those who are dead not those who are physically dead in the grave, but those who are spiritually dead, those who are far away from God, those people whose lives are messed up, who might be in a dark moment. Those are the people that Jesus says it's going to be those types of people that are going to hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear are going to live. Some people, some people would say, well, how do you know when God's talking to you? 
how do you know? And that's, that's hard. And, and this, this may come across real subjective, but it is a very subjective thing. It can be a very objective thing. I could certainly stand up here and tell you that anytime I read this Bible, it is thus saith the Lord. That anytime I read Scripture, it is God talking to you directly. And I believe that. I believe every single time that I believe that whenever Jesus says this, he's saying it to you and me. That every promise in Scripture is given directly, is God giving you that promise. Every command is God speaking directly to you. But I also believe that there are times when God speaks so directly to us and so directly to our heart that we feel it. It's, and, it's, and it's more than just a feeling. It's more than just, it's more than just hearing with our ears. It's, it's, it's hearing with our souls. It's something that's so much deeper than just me, re- me reading words to you on a page. But His voice is clear but it's not audible. Now, some of you may say, well, I've heard God speak to me audibly. I've never had that happen. Praise the Lord. I'm glad that he's done that for you. But for most of us, it's not going to be audible. It's almost as if it's the Lord moving upon our hearts, moving upon our thoughts, moving upon and shaping our desires. It's more of a touch on the inside than it is a voice that we hear on the outside. For some people, it's, it's a weight of conviction. I talk about this a lot. It's a weight of conviction, that feeling of guilt that we have. That's not just human guilt, but what the Bible calls a godly sorrow. This deep pain that we have before God over our sin. That's God talking to you. That's not just you feeling human guilt that leads to condemnation. The Bible calls that a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and to salvation. When God talks, sometimes it's a rush of the Holy Spirit. And it's it's unmistakable. It's God just coming upon you. The Bible calls it whenever whenever you get filled with the Spirit. And it says, uh, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's a it's a rush of the Holy Spirit. It's almost as if God takes over your mind, He takes over your desires, He takes over your feelings, and your mind and your desires and your feelings are just, a, just portals through which the Holy Spirit speaks to your soul. And it's unmistakable. You know when it happens, and it's life-altering. It's changing. And if you've been saved, it's happened to you. If, you, if you've been saved, something similar to that, may, maybe not as extravagant as what we see in Scripture, maybe not as dramatic as I'm trying to describe it to you today, but it's happened in you. You know, just, just like Elijah, when he went on the mountain, God spoke to him in that still, small voice. The Bible says that it was like a gentle whisper. You know, all the noise and all the clutter and all the lights and all the music and all the shouting and all, the, all of that kind of stuff. Maybe God can use some of that, but I think it's, a lot of times it's in those quiet moments. Those quiet moments where the Lord speaks and it's just un, it's unmistakable and you know it. And you need, to, you need to pray for that. Jesus will talk to you. And there's something about 
experiencing his compassion and him drawing near to us and God speaking to us that raises us from the dead. And that's, that's the fourth application that I have for you. You can be raised from the dead. You can be raised from the dead. That's, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we were dead, something in the past, spiritually dead, but we've been made alive. I want to tell you today, I believe that the greatest miracle that can possibly be performed is whenever a soul is dead to Christ and God raises them again and they come alive to God. I think that's even more spectacular than a body dying and being raised again. I think the, I think the fact that the Holy Spirit can move upon a heart and that a soul can be awakened and quickened to God and can see things differently and live differently and feel differently and think differently and act differently and be a whole new creation in Christ, that is the greatest miracle that can ever happen. And the only reason that it can happen is because Jesus died on a cross and he rose again on the third day. And because of his resurrection, you can also be raised from the dead. And that miracle is promised to everyone. If you have leprosy, I cannot promise you that you're going to be cleansed. If you have cancer, I can't promise you that you're going to be healed. If you have a loved one that has died, I cannot give you assurance that we can go and raise them from the dead. If you have any type of ailment or sickness or pain, I cannot promise you and assure you that every time with everyone that God's going to fix those problems. I can't promise you that, but I can promise you this, that the Word of God that says anyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, that whosoever will may come. And Jesus even says that in the last chapter of Revelation. He says, let whoever will come and drink and eat from the tree of, of life. The invitation is open. And you know why we don't get healed in this way? Because we don't want it. We don't want it. That's the only reason. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit speaks. God wants to show you His compassion. He wants to touch your life. He wants you to be saved. But you can rebel, or you can ignore, and you can say no. People do it all the time. Well, this is the miracle that's promised today, and maybe this is the miracle you need. Maybe you need to call on the name of the Lord today. Let's do that. Let's call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Let's stand together. I want to ask you to stand, and I want to ask you to bow your head, and I want to ask you to close your eyes, and I want to ask you to call on Jesus right now. You may have some deep trouble in your life right now, and you would say, you know, I would be satisfied just to feel the compassion of God for me right now. I just need, I just need to know that the Lord loves me and cares for me. You may say, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I just need the Lord to show me compassion. I need Him to touch me. I need Him to hug me and touch me and, and show me His compassion. I need Him to talk to me. I need Him to whisper in my ear and say, I'm with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe that's what you need today. 
Will you just call upon the name of Jesus right now and just ask him for that? But maybe your situation is a lot more serious than that. Maybe you have never truly been spiritually raised from the dead. And you need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Would you do that today? Would you call upon Jesus and be saved? Maybe you feel this weight of conviction, this weight of guilt. Maybe the Holy Spirit has rushed upon you. Maybe He's taken over your thoughts and your mind. Don't resist Him. Don't resist Him. Don't say no. All you have to do is surrender. All you, that's, that's what faith is. It's just surrender. It's giving up. Will you give up on yourself? Will you call upon Jesus? Just say, Jesus, save me. Call upon his name. Ask him to save you. You pray. Come to the altar if you like. If you want to come to the altar and kneel down and pray, I'm going to give you a few moments, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and then we're going to sing a minute or two. You come down. You pray at this altar. If you need to unburden yourself of something that has been going on in your life, you just need to give it over to the Lord. Or maybe there's a person you need to be praying for. Don't wait. Just come on. Just come pray for that person. Just pray that, pray that God would show that person compassion. Pray that God would save that person. And pray for yourself that you call upon the name of Jesus right now. I'll give you a few minutes just to pray. You just stand there and pray to the Lord. Come to the altar if you'd like to. You can kneel down in the aisles and pray if you'd like to. But you spend, you spend some time talking to Jesus and pray to Him. Pour out your heart to Him.